Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. When it comes down to it, what are we at our core? We are North American Waterfowl. Hello and welcome to yet another episode of the North American Waterfowler podcast. My name is Elliot and I really appreciate you turning in, tuning in to this episode. Um, if you are a regular listener of the podcast, you probably know I haven't really been getting out two episodes a week the last month or so. Um, I would like to try to get two episodes out every single week, but things are hectic this time of year. And so I have missed some of those double episodes. So hang in there with me as I try to get as much content out there for you guys as I can. Definitely trying to bring you at least one a week, but I will try to push it back up to two as much as, much as I can. Um, today, I'm going to be talking about ice. Last week, I talked all about safety Went through some recent accidents where people have died this year out duck hunting. Talked about some tips for staying safe. And I was a little bit worried that people weren't going to like that episode because it's not really a feel-good fun episode. Thinking about people out dying, pursuing the passion that you and I love so much is disheartening. Thinking about people being shot drowning. It's not a feel good thing to really dive into and talk about. And so my concern was that people maybe just weren't really going to like that episode as much, but I've had great feedback about it. Uh, people seem to really enjoy that episode. And so I'm glad to hear that. It was a little bit of a tough episode for me to do diving back into the tragedies of my family's past. Um, but I'm glad that it did it needed to be done something that we need to think about. So guys, please, please be safe out there. We are right at the end of one of the most prolonged, harshest cold fronts that I can remember. I'm sure there's been others, but I don't remember. I know in the last 10, 15, 20 years, I don't remember a cold front like this. Now, here in my state, I live in Kansas, and I don't know where wherever you live. I'm sure it's different for everyone. But we are in an area that during the summer hits 100s and during the winter hits zero. But we don't go below zero very often. You know, like once a year, we'll get a couple days that are negative one, negative two. But some lots of years, we don't ever get anything that's in the negatives. And this year has been a mild, warm season because of the El Nino. It's been a mild, warm season. And so this Arctic cold blast has been a welcome friend. But man, this thing is hit and it has been here to stay. We have had 
negative temperature after negative temperature of just day after day after day after day. And we're just not used to seeing that kind of prolonged cold front. Normally we'll get those two days maybe that gets down to about zero, negative two, negative three, and then it immediately warms back up. And when that happens, our lakes, our rivers and everything will freeze, but they thaw out really quickly. But this time with the, I have so little experience with this much cold that I don't know how long the thaw is going to take. I've been getting reports that some of the reservoirs are six, seven, eight inches of ice. That's drive your car on is from my understanding, my understanding. And I'm, I don't know, cause we don't do that here in Kansas, drive our cars out on the ice and people do ice fish, but as far as driving their cars out and stuff, I've never seen anyone do it, but I've been told that at six inches, you can drive a car on it. So we've got this massive warm up coming this week and with even some rains. And so I don't know how long it's going to take for this stuff to thaw out. I'm guessing it's not going to come by this weekend. So when you get these kind of conditions and you have this kind of ice hunting can be absolutely phenomenal, but it's hard. It's hard to find the birds. It is a totally different animal finding birds on these type of conditions and having success on these type of conditions than any other time of the year. So on this episode, I'm going to talk to you about my scout yesterday. I almost hunted today. I mean, I, I had everything laid out. I had the plan set in place and it was going to be the type of hunt that I dream about just the the setting, the location. And it's funny that this should happen because this kind of ties right back into last week's episode about safety. So I'm going to go through all that. And I stopped and didn't go at the last second. I'm going to describe why that is. And then I'm going to go through ice and just techniques of hunting ice, um, all different types of ice. We're just going to talk about ice and how to deal with it. And if you guys have anything to add into this conversation to bring to me, I'm looking for some comments of the weeks. So you can find me on the Facebook page. We've got more people coming over there, the North American Waterfowler group on Facebook. You can find me on Instagram, Freelance Duck Hunting. You can email me at freelancedukhunting at gmail.com and submit. Um, just say, hey, give me your comments. Give me your thoughts. Love hearing from you guys. So before we get into that, um, I want to tell you there are some great sales going on Final approach, fabrand.com. The code is FDH10 for 10% on. I'm telling you guys, the orders are streaming in from people getting out there and buying stuff because like I said last week, you know you're going to buy new stuff. Now is the time to save yourself money. If you wait until late July, August to get your new stuff, you're going to pay more money. So you might as well do it now. You might as well go look, fabrand.com. Check out what they've got. Awesome lineup of clothing. Looks like I'm going to make it through an entire season with their waiters. I cannot tell you. I, I do not have on memory in the last 20 years making it through an entire season without a leaky pair of waiters. They've got so much cool stuff over there. FABrand.com. Motion Ducks decoy spreader system is the number one water motion jerk rig type of system on the market as far as i'm concerned i had my buddy he markwood me he's like elliot i think i'm gonna get uh this jerk rig thing i saw this guy using one it's just got all these clips on it it comes straight back to you 
And I sent him a message back. He's like, no, 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 no. You do not want that type of jerk rig. Those are a colossal pain in the ass. Those old school ones where it goes anchor straight back to you with clips on it because clipping on those decoys every single time is an absolute pain in the butt. Not fun. The the easiest, quickest jerk rig. If you're like me and you don't want to deal with a lot of extra and it annoys you, here's what you need to do. The basic motion ducks decoy spreader. Four ducks on it. They stay clipped on all the time. They come on a little cross. It will take you like two minutes to set this thing up and to pull it down. It is virtually no work at all. That is the one that you want. FDH 10 for the code there. And on X hunt, I've been receiving pins all weekend from people. It's never ending. Hey, check out this spot. Have you seen that spot? Look at this spot. I've received two pins in the last day. It just, it's, it's a, the communication system with on X is second to none. I'm telling you, if you don't use Onyx Hunt, you need to do that now. And it's not too late to get signed up for the North American Waterfowler app or website. Download that on iOS, Android, or just go to the website, thenorthamericanwaterfowler.com and start logging all your hunts, start seeing how other people do, start connecting with your friends, get the chat board, leaderboard, retrieves of your dog, add pictures. Each hunt, I go in and I log my hunt and I put a picture in there on each hunt. And it's, it's saved in there. You can put more than one. And so next year, probably July-ish, I'll go through each and every hunt I went through and just click it, look, pull up the picture, and think about it and reminisce over it. The pictures are really, really important. So go check that out, the North American Waterfowler app. Okay, so let's go ahead and jump into this. I want to tell you my situation. Fumbles and I went on a scout yesterday. I had been looking at the weather. So as you guys know, I had a heart attack on the 18th of December. I have not started my cardiac rehab yet. And one of my three main arteries going to my heart was 99% blocked. It was the least important one. I don't know which one's least important. That's the least important one. Um, I could have died from it easily. I didn't. They put a stent in there. I'm fine. So I've, but I've, and I've got to go through cardiac rehab now. And what cardiac rehab is, is you get in there to the doctor they hook you. They put all those little plugs on you and everything. You exercise. They monitor your heart. They see, and the reason what their concern is, is that the bad cholesterol, I don't know if you call it plaque, call it cholesterol, whatever, uh, that clogs your veins. If some of that breaks loose, it gets hot and inflamed, it breaks loose. And then blood coagulates around it. And that's what causes your stoppage or your blockage. Um, and with me, now there's different types of heart attacks. This is what happened with me. They said there could be other loose, bad cholesterol, whatever you want to call it still in there. And if you really, really exercise hard, that gets inflamed again, same thing. You can kick yourself into the same, I could have another heart attack. So that's why you go through cardiac rehab. You build up, they monitor you, you're, you're getting back into pushing your heart up and everything. So, so. I can't exercise. I can't elevate my heart, anything like that until I go through this process. And so they put me on a restriction of 25 degrees because the gal I talked to said with the extreme colds, 
that causes your heart rate to elevate. It's hard on your body, and it, that's why. Well, I've been watching the weather closely because I already missed one weekend. This would be the second weekend that I'm missing hunting. And today, yesterday, yesterday, no, I'm sorry, today, uh, at like right now, it's 27 degrees. So I'm above my limit. But wind chill wise, right now, it's like 15 degrees. And so I never actually asked the lady, like, are we talking real feel? Are we talking actual temperature? But I'm I'm smart enough to know they're talking wind chill because it's how it feels to you. And so yesterday, gosh, I keep saying yesterday, sorry. Today, at 10 o'clock, it was supposed to be 18 degrees, wind chill of 8. And once you get up to about noon, it was going to be 25 degrees, which is my limit, but wind chill of 15. And so... Gosh, I want to hunt. I just can't stand it. Season's almost over, and there's such cool conditions with the ice and everything. I decided, you know what? This 25 degrees is arbitrary number. I'm I'm just gonna I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go a little late. If I can find something viable to do, I'm gonna go do it. Because you know the temperature is gonna be close to 25. Yes, the real feel is going to be below what I'm supposed to do, but it's probably just an arbitrary number that they're throwing out there because, you know, I asked the lady, I was like, well, give me a limit. What's my limit? She's like, uh, 25 degrees. It's almost like she just kind of spit out a number. I'm thinking, I know I'm going to be fine. We like to say that, right? I'm going to be fine. And so I was planning on doing it. And so I went out scouting yesterday and I took fumbles with me. I mean, we had a fun, fun time. And on this body of water, I found an ice hole, big ice hole with, I don't know, it was about a mile away. So as I was looking at it with the binoculars, it's hard to tell how many were on there. I'm guessing five to 10,000 mixture of geese and ducks. And I know this area pretty well. I know the depth of the water out there pretty well. I've hunted it before. So, um, I would normally say you do not walk a mile over ice to get to a hole that's out there by itself. That sounds like a really dangerous situation, but I started thinking it through and thinking most of the walk would be on two, three inches under the ice of water. And then there'd be about a 300 yard stretch of a walk from basically the land to the ice hole. And the plan would be, I was going to go with the little Slayer Hunter. We were going to wear white. We were going to take my small kayak and only about a dozen shells, goose shells, half a dozen goose floaters, half a dozen goose full bodies, and a dozen duck decoys. We were going to put that in my... um, old town sportsman and it was going to be dragging this thing on the ice virtually the entire way. So we were going to show up at 10 unload. And at that time, the wind chill was only going to be about eight, but I was going to be bundled, have my mouth covered. So I'm not breathing in cold air. We're going to do this 1.3 mile walk, basically on the ice hunter. He's a 16 year old, strong kid, plays football, plays basketball. He's athletic. He was going to pull the whole thing because it's just on ice, right? And we were going to get there, bust 
the geese off the hole, which we've talked about. We have talked about busting roosts before. And if you're curious, like, why would you bust the roost? My thoughts on busting the roost are on a podcast about four or five times back from here. So if you want to hear my discussion about the roost and when it's appropriate is and is not appropriate to bust a roost, go this. I'm not going to go into it now, but go into it there. I think there's times that it's appropriate, times it's not appropriate. I felt like this is an appropriate time. Um, walk out there, bust all those birds off, and we're going to sit in white. Uh, Hunter has snow those chairs they sit in in snow goose. You know, it's like they elevate you a little bit. You lay back. We're going to put the six full bullet, full bodies all around us, put the shells out. Now, here's the thing. I have a pretty good idea how deep it is out there. I've got a pretty good idea, but I'm not absolutely certain because waters go up, they go down, they fluctuate, but I've got a pretty good idea. So my, the big safety concern in this now, before I go, I should stop and say this right now. If you're listening to this, there are, this is the only instance in my life. Well, no, there's, this is the second instance in my life that I have felt it's safe enough to walk across ice to get to an ice hole that's just on ice. This is not a safe thing to do, generally speaking. I do not advise people to do this, generally speaking. I have seen holes on the ice that there is no way in the world I would ever walk to. The only reason that I was comfortable with doing this is I know this area. I feel extremely certain that even at that ice hole out there, that water is not over my head. Now, do I know that for 100% certainty? I do not know that for 100% certainty, but I'm very, very confident of it. And so Hunter and his dad own a handheld ice auger. You spin it, drills down in the ice. So even though I feel very certain that that's shallow out there, as we get into water off of the bank, every hundred yards, the plan was to drill a hole with the, with the handled ice auger, check the depth, which the other time that I did this, and this video is on it on my YouTube channel, freelance duck hunting was with Dan and Aiden. And we did, Aiden had an ax and we did the same thing, even though we knew it was shallow, knowing it's shallow, but walking on ice. Cause ice makes such weird noises. Ice makes, if you've never been on ice, it makes such weird noises. It'll, it'll kind of, sometimes it goes, whoa, 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 whoa. And then you hear this cracking. It, it makes crazy noises, the ice. Not even thawing ice, just ice of a, a big slabs of ice make some crazy, eerie noises. So walk on 100 yards, ice or ice auger stick, check the depth. And we're going to do that for this three, 400 yards. Cause the whole walk, the 1.3 mile walk, we knew absolutely certain that it was shallow those spots. But for the last 300 yards, I know it's shallow, but I, we're on open water, open water under ice. So I want, we were going to check it every hundred yards, every hundred yards. Then as you get closer, now, now mind you, we're pulling the Sportsman 119 kayak with us the entire time. We're also wearing life jackets the whole time, and I'm bringing rope with us. 
So there's lots of thought out process to what we're doing here. Don't ever just blindly try to walk to an ice hole. That that's you have to have all you have to have it really thought out. You have to know the area. It's it's not something I advise for you to do. Like I said, I've only done this only second time I've been willing to do this in my life where I'm walking across ice to a hole that's in the ice without like getting to land or something. And so you get close to the ice edge. Now you've got the kayak there. You've got the ropes. You've got the life jackets. I'm going to bring a big pole with me. And as you slowly, we would know the depth of the ice because we're ice augering it. And remember, it's been below zero so many days. And I, and we know that most of the ice around here is six to eight inches deep. And we're going to be using the ice auger. So we would know as we go out. Then as you get to that hole, I was going to bring a long stick and slowly bring it in there, not lean way over the hole, be really, really careful. But if something did and you did fall in, you've got the rope, you've got the life jackets, you've got the kayak, you've got lots of things, you know, you've got your buddy standing off back with the rope. So you've got lots of, lots of components to like worst case scenario, worst case scenario for this. Cause you're not going to just walk around out here and fall through the ice because of the temperatures lately. That's like saying someone out there, you know, um, ice fishing with those little huts that they're just going to fall through. You're not going to fall through. So really the biggest, the biggest concern for this whole plan would be you get up to the ice hole. You want to check the depth of the ice hole, the side of it cracks, you fall and it's over your head. That's the biggest concern of this whole thing. You take the pole. Once you get up there, feel to the bottom. I assume it was going to be about thigh deep. That's what I think it would have been about thigh deep, maybe waist deep. If it's too deep, you don't put floater decoys out there. You just set up a shell around the end. You set back. And then when you do need to retrieve birds, you've got the kayak there for you to do it. So we had, I had spent so much time thinking this whole plan out. And then, um, I don't know how we would have done because I canceled it. I woke up this morning because now it's like variable number one. I'm not supposed to hunt anything below 25. It's a wind chill of eight degrees when we're starting. Am I, and my, my chest has been feeling strange the last week or two since my heart attack. It's been feeling a little sore. I've been feeling a little tiny bit of pressure in there. There was one night where I was feeling so odd and, and so peculiar to me that I told my wife, I was like, if this keeps up feeling like this tomorrow, I'm going back into the doctor to see what the heck's going on. I want to find out and make sure that I don't have other blockage in there that I don't know about. And the next day I felt fine. So I've been nervous. Not It's not like my heart's just been feeling great. It hasn't. It's been feeling strange. A little sore. A little tiny bit of pressure. But I don't know how it's supposed to feel after you have a heart attack. It's supposed to feel normal. Right? I don't know. So as I'm on the trip with my dad, now mind you, Remember from last week, I told you my dad's dad and two brothers drowned on a lake in Isol when he was six. That scars you for your entire life. That scars you for your entire life, as you can imagine. So as I'm on the scout, I'm talking this stuff through with my dad. And, and I'm like, he's seeing it with me. He's, you know what do you think? Here's the plan. Here's the plan. And, and he agrees. He thinks it's a, he thinks it's a safe plan. Um, I woke at the last night. I started getting nervous about it 
nervous that I would overexert myself and we'd, I'd be, um, uh, 1.3 miles out there on the ice. And all of a sudden I started having heart issues that I really, there was no concern for me about the ice. I mean, I had a respect for what we were doing, but I wasn't scared of it. I, I really believe the plan that we set out and what we know, it was a safe plan. I really believe that, but I just couldn't get past the hard thing. And so I wake up this morning I'm thinking about it. Last night, I started having some second thoughts. I wake up this morning. I'm, I woke up like at 7.30. I was supposed to leave at 9.15. Having second thoughts. I'm praying a little bit about it. And I felt okay, but I just, man, there was just this nagging worry from me. And then the phone rings. And it's my dad. <laughs> and he, he's like, listen, I don't really don't want you to go on this. You know, you're breaking doctor's orders. You've got the ice concern. You know, it's just, it's a different hunt. It's, it's a hunt with a little more, you know, if I'm going out and hunting a shallow water marsh, I'm not spending an hour thinking about all the details to how to make sure I don't die. <laughs> you know? So when you've got to spend that much time to make sure in your mind that, okay, what if this goes wrong? Oh, I've got a rope. What if this goes wrong? I've got a kayak. What if this goes, how do I know the depth? I've got a hand out. You know, when, um, when you're out teal hunting, you're not spending an hour going through every detail to make sure that you're not putting yourself in a death situation. So although I, I fully believed and believe that this plan was a safe plan, still an, a, a danger element to it. And then you add in that the doctor saying, and, and my dad's like, you know, Concern number one, concern number two, I really wish you wouldn't go on this hunt. And I'm like, I know how much he was going to send home on a worry. I mean, he was six and his dad and his two brothers drowned in an ice hole. And now he's going to sit here at home and think about his son going out who's had a heart attack on an ice hole. <laughs> you know, that what kind of torture do I want to put him through? <laughs> Now, I will say I am not done hunting ice holes. I obviously didn't go on that one, and it's been bugging me all day. We went to Culver's to eat. I'm like, oh, it's not cold. It is not cold. I could definitely be out in this cold. But last episode, as you, I talked about those decisions. How many times in your mind have you thought, man, I probably shouldn't do whatever. I should probably put on a life jacket. I should probably go grab a stick as I'm walking in this lake or river and so that I can touch the state, uh, the bottom and look for holes and you get those little warning signs in your mind and you do it. How many times have you diverted catastrophe by listening to that little voice? We'll never know. There are some of us who would be dead right now if we didn't listen to that little voice. You just never know. You never know what small little decision that you've made has saved your life. So the fact that I just put that podcast out last week and I was having these voices in my mind, when my dad called, that was just like, okay, I'm going to feel better if I stay home. I've got my first cardiac rehab on Friday and next week it's going to warm up. It's going to be fine. I know I'll be able to hunt next week. Unless I go into cardiac rehab and they're like, oh my gosh, you're something. Let's, you know, I don't think that's going to happen. So I called it off, but man, am I ever thinking about it? Because I have had 
There is a video on Jordan Fromer's YouTube channel, Duck Gun Chronicles, where he and I found an ice hole and we pulled a bunch of logs and sticks out on this ice hole on the rim of it. And we laid there together. It's just me, him, and I think his dog chief was with us. I think. I can't remember. I think I'm pretty sure. And there was no one else around for miles. And we shot a couple mallards, a couple bluebills. I think we shot a hooded mergans. I don't know. But that that hunt, I have such fond memories of just laying side by side with your buddy on the ice. No one else around for miles. And I talked about this with laying out. There is an intimacy with the environment when you are on the ground, whether it's in a layout blind, layout boat, laying on an ice shelf. There is something about an intimacy with the environment when you are at ground level that you just cannot get, I can't get, out of a boat blind, out of an A-frame. It's just different. And the harsher the conditions, the more that intimate feeling grows. And so the thought of walking over a mile out onto this body of water, flushing up thousands and thousands of birds, laying on the edge of that ice with little Slayer, the hunter. And I guarantee you we would have shot birds. Now, would we have shot our limit? I don't know. But every single time I've ever done anything like this, you get return birds and you kill them. Oh man, it's just so hard to to pass that up. There's nothing, there's very little more fun than that. There's very little more fun than ISOL hunts. And if you want to see awesome ISOL hunts, no one has more consistently awesome ISOL hunts than Matt, my buddy, High Prairie Sportsman. He has year after year after year the most consistently fantastic ISOL hunts for mallards of anyone, anyone that I know. ISOL hunts are rare. They're hard to find. If I get a if I get a couple good ISOL hunts in five years, that's a lot. And he just seems to get three, four, five every single year. So if you he's got them coming out right now. So if you if you want to see, you know what I'm talking about, go go check it out or go dig through Jordan's channel. Um, it's from like three, four years ago. Find that episode with he and I on the ice. It's just so much fun, and I'm really struggling with the fact that I didn't get to do that today, but it could be one of those times. Who knows? It's 1.40 right now. Who knows what would have happened? Maybe catastrophe was adverted. Probably not. Probably would have been fine. But So I'm going to take a little break right now. I'm going to play a song for you from the doors called Wintertime Love. It just kind of goes along with the weather right now. And this cold blast that has just been a refreshing change of pace for the hunting community. I will be right back in just a bit. Wintertime winds blue and freezing, coming from northern storms in the sea. Love has been lost, is that the reason? Trying so desperately to be free. Come with me, dance, my dear Winter's so cold this year 
right. So thank you for coming back here with me. We are going to talk about ice now. I'm going to, this is all of the knowledge that I have gathered over 30 years of hunting ice. Um, I'm just going to talk about how to hunt it and, and just about ice in general, because ice is an absolute mystery. First of all, um, when ice first starts hitting and I'm, I'm a central flyaway hunter. So these are for me in the central flyaway where you've had a bunch of days where it's like low of 32, high of 50. And you can kind of get in this cycle of like low of 32, high of 50, low of 32, high of 50. And the next phase is you start getting lows in the, in the mid twenties. And this is the time where it is so incredibly difficult to figure out if you're going to get into the marsh and have ice. There are days where I expect there to be ice and there isn't. And there's days where I don't expect there to be ice and there is. And this is the absolute worst kind of ice. It's sheet ice. I don't recall ever having a really good hunt if there's sheet ice until the sheet ice leaves. But there are some things that you can do to help with sheet ice. Now, I call sheet ice where the the water is covered with ice. And when you walk in it, it just crackles into tiny little pieces. You are unable to move the ice. You break it and it just crackles into little pieces. Now, once it cracks into little pieces, especially on a sunny day, there is so much reflective glitter coming off of that. I have killed ducks over sheet ice, but not many. If I go out on a day where I'm excited about the hunt and there's there's sheet ice and I didn't think there would be sheet ice, I might kill three or four mallards. But when when mallards see, you're only going to kill the really dumb ones. They will not consistently come and play if you've got sheet ice. So one thing that we have tried, and now I will say I can't tell you that we've had tons of tons of success with this, but it definitely helps. When you're dealing with sheet ice, if you bring a plastic rake, one of those big fan rakes, and you bring it with you, you can rake sheet ice out of a hole. If you work hard enough and you rake enough, you can get some sections because what you really have to have is clear water. You have to have some sections of water that are debris free of ice. And with one of those big fan plastic rakes, it definitely helps. But I would say if you really think that there's going to be sheet ice, really the best game plan is just to not go. Is to not go. Um, because it's just ducks hate it. You can't clear it. Now, watch the temperatures closely. Because a lot of times, if it's just really, really thin sheet ice, that'll burn off by 11 o'clock. If it's going to be especially a windy, sunny day, you can break that ice, you can use your rake, and the wind and the sun, it'll burn that stuff off of there. So watch the temperatures, see what the temperatures are going to do. 
if it's like a 26 degree day in the morning and you see it's going to get to 35 with 15 mile an hour winds and sunny, you can probably be okay, but you're going to have to wait a little bit, but you'll probably be okay. And that might even be a day that it benefits you to hit the marsh at about 10 o'clock because those ducks know when ice is going to come. I can't remember. I think it was Jake that I was having the conversation with mallards, mallards ability to no situations just instinctively is unbelievable. They've been known to, um, if you get a, a new spot of flood, let's say overnight, you just have a soaker and a lot of the vegetation that's been on dry land all year now has four inches of water in it. Those ducks can find that that next day. They can travel thousands of miles to find it. They, there's something in them that they know weather fronts. They know when ice is going to be come off and come on. It's, it's something more than their observatory skills. That's something more than them flying around and looking. There's something innate in them that just knows. Jake and I, two weeks, last time I hunted, we were hunting. I put up the video. It's my last video on YouTube. Didn't do very well. Go watch it. It's, I don't think it's a bad video. It just didn't do very well. Um, the ducks were sitting on the main part of the lake and the, the cove had sheet ice. Now where we're hunting didn't have sheet ice, but back in the food area where they wanted to be at sheet ice, those ducks, we watched it. Those ducks knew the moment that that sheet ice was gone. Sun came out, wind picked up. You could see that sheet ice disappear and those mallards, boom, there they were. Clockwork. It was unbelievable. So that being said, if you've got sheet ice and you've got the right conditions, you know, become a student of the game with your waterfowl hunting. If you are an avid North American waterfowler, you should be watching weather constantly during hunting season. Constantly. You can get apps on my apps. I just use the weather.com app. It is, that's a little blue app with a cloud and a sun. It's just weather.com. And the fantastic thing about this app, there's probably better ones out there, but this one is absolutely phenomenal. You can go to the day and there's a little toggle bar and it's got wind, precipitation, feels like, humidity, visibility, pressure, and you can click on each one. So I can click on wind and it'll let me scroll like I'm looking at it right now. 12 a.m. The wind is going to be 17 miles an hour, gusts of 30, and you can scroll your finger along that line and it will show you the progression minute by minute 15 14 13 and so you can go and see exactly when the wind's going to do what and i know a lot of people like to piss and moan about weathermen i find them to be extremely accurate now they're not always accurate but for the most part if you're watching the right people ryan hall y'all is a great one weather.com app's a good one. They are rarely wrong from what I can tell. Now they are wrong sometimes, but, um, rarely wrong. So be a student of the game with your weather. And, and especially during that ice, you got the sheet ice. You're like, well, it looks like it's going to be sunny. The wind's going to be picking up. I think we should get out there about 10 o'clock. It's probably going to be clearing and you can really help yourself out with really paying attention to the details of the weather. So that's sheet ice. Now, as the ice gets a little bit thicker, 
And let's say you have a night of 15 and a high of 28. You're like, okay, I know that the shallow water marshes are going to be frozen. You've got to start playing a game now of, even though I know that these shallow water marshes are going to be frozen, what has the wind been like? And are there areas that might stay open? And if you get to know marshes, you'll start to know the traditional spots where holes stay open. And those become the same because the wind, as it comes through, hit those same areas the same. So you'll, if you have a, an ice hole one year and the conditions are pretty much the same the next year, you may have an ice hole that very same time the next year too. So if there's a marsh that you know has ice, it may still have an ice hole on it and ducks may still be keeping that open. I know Fumbles and I have had a couple of hunts that have been fantastic just because natural ice holes were open, not even because the ducks were keeping it open, just because the wind. Now, sometimes ducks will get in there and keep it open, but they don't tend to do that early. Like if you get a, uh, an ice in November, those ducks seem to not really do the whole keep an ice hole open thing as much at that time. That really seems like that's for a little bit later with a little harsher colds where they're just like, all right, everyone huddle together and keep this open. Uh, but you can get some natural holes open. So you might just want to spend a morning in those conditions looking for holes. Get, get your feet on the ground. A lot of people will just assume a marsh is, is frozen and even heavily traveled marshes. I remember one hunt, Fumbles and I had an ice hole. There was only one other group on the whole marsh. This is a really heavily trafficked marsh and it was just us and another group and we had the ice hole and we killed our limit fast and it was naturally just there by the wind so you can get boots on the ground and look for those ice holes now you can also get back in there and break ice holes open now i am not sure as to i i don't feel confident about when is a good time to bust open an ice hole because I know there's been times a golden boy has opened up ice holes where I didn't think he it made sense to do it. And he has done well. But the thing is about opening up an ice hole and I'll tell you about it. You probably know, but I'll tell you how to open an ice hole, how I go about opening an ice hole is you need to have birds flying over that area. So this goes back into knowing your area and knowing the way the birds fly. So in there that I'm thinking about, where I busted an ice hole open that I'm going to tell you about. I know that the birds are going to be traveling down this line, even under the circumstances of ice, because they're going to be on the main lake. And I know generally speaking, which direction they fly from the main lake to go to fields. And so if you know that you're going to have a flight line of ducks flying over, then opening up an ice hole can be a really good thing. If there's no ducks in the air, and, they, and their instincts tell them that those marshes are going to be frozen, they're not going to fly over unless that's their flight, natural flight line. I read an old book one time. I can't remember the name. I've searched for it. Can't find it. Can't find the name of it. I have people ask me. Ah, I'm really annoyed at myself. I know it's laying around my house somewhere. And, and this, it was a waterfowl hunting book like from the 50s or 60s. And this guy had so much waterfowl knowledge. It was such a cool book. And he was just talking about waterfowl hunting and strategies. And, and this is where I got the idea that there are, there are rivers or veins of ducks in the sky. Ducks that are sitting on like a reservoir 
or an ice hole or whatever. You get them in there by the thousands and they're all going to travel like a river or a vein to where they're going. And there may be several of those. So you may have, let's say you have 10,000 ducks on a reservoir. You may have a couple thousand going this one line to this one field going south. You may have a couple thousand, a couple miles over going to a different field. So you have these veins, these arteries of ducks. And so if you're looking around for ducks in the air in between these rivers or veins, you may not see any ducks in the air because let's say you have um, one that's going straight south. And you have one that's going to a field, let's say five miles to the west of that. So it's like Southwest. So if you're in between those and where you're looking, you may never see a single bird in the air. But then once you hit that vein of that flight line, now, now you're talking some good trafficking lines. So if you're underneath one of those, that's what you can set up in fields, you can set up in ISOs. And that's when I would be looking for breaking open an ice hole because I know there's going to be ducks coming overhead. And as they come back out of the fields, 1030 to two, they're going to see the ice hole. They're going to see that's a great time to have a spinner. They're going to see the spinner. And now you may have some opportunities or the other time is when, you know, things are thawing, things are thawing. And within a day, two, three, you've got great South winds. You know, things are on the thaw, but they haven't completely thawed yet. That's another really, really good time to open up an ice hole. Now, when I open up an ice hole, the first thing that I do is I break the ice and get down in and I walk. I think, how big do I want this hole to be? And I might even walk it before I break to get down. I'm talking ice that, that you can walk on top of. Or ice that when, at least that when you break is going to stay together in big chunks. You don't want to break these pieces into little chunks. You are going to make your job so much more difficult if you let these break into, into, into little chunks. So I'm going to kind of think about how big I want this hole to be. I'm going to walk a complete circle. I'm going to break down in and I'm going to break a complete circle around my hole. Now, depending on the thickness of the ice, if the ice is really nice and thick to where you have to sit on it to break it, you can slide that entire section of ice out underneath the ice. Now, this can become difficult with vegetation. If there's vegetation attached to the ice, you're going to have more problems with this. Hopefully, there's not going to be vegetation. When a vegetation reaches up and fingers through the ice, that's going to cause problems. You want to look for places without vegetation. Now, if the ice, the, the thinner the ice, the easier it'll break. So if it's a little thinner, out of that whole, after I walk that whole circle, I'm going to cut it down the middle and cut it into two halves. And I'm going to test if I can get an entire half pushed out, slid under the ice. It'll just slide right under the ice as you push it out. If you can get this in one push, it can be very, very easy. As you're pushing, if it's breaking and breaking, then you're doing two biggest sections at a time. And so what you don't want is you don't want to try to push out a section of ice that's too big to where it's breaking as you do it. Once you start getting that ice breaking and it's cutting up into smaller pieces, like I said, your job has just become a nightmare. 
And you can still get it done. But the more you can, the bigger the chunks you can keep it into, the better. And I would say, now I do this because sometimes I just have to, but if you're grabbing big chunks of ice and you're throwing them on top of the ice out of the hole and they're shattering on the ice, I will do that when I have to, but I don't want to do that because I don't want to have something that looks really unnatural. No, no ice hole that you've ever seen that ducks have on naturally. Are you going to see all sorts of little broken pieces of glass that are glittering sun? You're not going to see that. It's going to be clean. So you want to keep that as clean on top as possible. Now, sometimes depending on how many people you have helping you, depending on how big the hole is, there are times in which I'm just like, I don't care if I'm going to clean this hole out. I've got to chuck things on top of the ice. If it breaks, it breaks. But if you can keep them underneath the ice and scooting them under the ice, that is the ideal scenario. That's what you want to try for. That's what you want to try for. Um, and it can be extremely successful. It can be very, very successful. Let's see. I'm trying to think if there's anything else about the ice that I can think of. Um, if you're walking on ice and you're not sure of the depth underneath you and it's, it, you just have to be so careful. That whole idea of carrying a little ax with you, um, so that you can chip down into it and stick a pole down in and check your depth is so important. It's so important. This ice stuff is exciting. The anytime we add more adventure to to North American waterfowling, and I know that Jace Robertson has some kind of quote that that you'll hear. I've heard it on like reels and Instagram. People use the audio of like you know when there's a little fear or a little chance of death, it's way more fun. It is. It's because it it's because evolutionary us men are predisposed for adventure. And if you live in a society, we live in a society where adventure is hard to come by. Anything that makes it a little more adventurous is going to strike a nerve in us down deep and we're going to like it. Those of us that are predisposed, that have this bug in us to do this. But you have to think this stuff out. You cannot go haphazardly and mess with ice because you will die. You can die. So there has, you have to be willing guys in their early twenties. I'm talking to you specifically because when you're in your early twenties, most of early guys in the early twenties have a, it's never going to happen to me. Any mortal thing about it. I'm nothing's going to happen to me. I know it's going to be fine because you're in your early twenties. That just goes with being that age. You have to be willing to say, this is too dangerous. I see the birds. This is too dangerous. I'm not going to do it. Oh my gosh, look at that ice hole. There's thousands of mallards and geese on there, but it's too dangerous to risk. You cannot be willing to make stupid decisions that will cost you their life, your life. Down in Oklahoma, that country music singer, they must have had thousands of ducks right at their fingertips. They took a 12-foot boat out on 30-mile-an-hour winds. They're dead. I guarantee you, and I don't know the facts. I, I, I shouldn't say guarantee. I don't know the facts for sure, but I wouldn't be surprised if the thought of visually what they were seeing with all these mallards overrode their common sense. You have to be willing to say, not today, the risk is too much. And that situation yesterday when I was going to hunt the ice, I can promise you, 
If I didn't think I knew the depth of that water out there, I wouldn't have done that. That's the only reason I did it. If I thought that was 20 feet deep at that ice hole, I wouldn't have done it. Even with the kayak, even with the ropes, I wouldn't have done it. It's not worth it. Go out there and fall into 20 feet on a degree, on a day that's eight degree wind chill with over a mile walk out of there, hoping your friend can pull you out of the ice hole. You accidentally pull him in with you. Now what? You're bundled up in tons of clothes. Maybe you have waders on. Maybe you don't. You've got life jackets on, but you're both in the water now in 20 foot water. You know, it, you can't do it. You have to be willing to walk away. You have to be willing to walk away. And, and so I encourage you with this stuff, with the ice and waterfowl hunting, think safety, be smart. That's all I have for you today. I hope you enjoyed this. Let's get some comments of the week coming in. Contact me if you have any comments you'd like for me to use. Also, don't forget, come over to Patreon, patreon.com slash freelance stuck hunting. That's the best way that you can directly support what I'm doing to keep this thing going. I will be back in a few days with another one. Until next time, you've listened to another episode of the North American Waterfowler Podcast. Wintertime winds blue and freezing Coming from northern storms in the sea Love has been lost, is that the reason? Trying so desperately to be free 